So let's get this started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Strategy Show. I'm Simon Severino, your host. This episode is brought to you by the Strategy Sprints. Strategy Sprints do only one thing, strategy in sprints. Strategy means increasing your revenue, gaining market shares. In sprints means doing it while having fun, in short cycles that give you more energy for the next sprint. And as always, we try and bring you the smartest people so that you as a CEO can learn whatever you need to learn. And I am super excited that we have this week with us, Brian Robertson. Hi, Brian. Hi, nice to, nice to be here again. I am so happy to have you here on so many levels. We will unpack this in the next half an hour, but I, I met you the first time when I did the Holacracy Practitioner training with you, and you said, be a Ferrari. You, you won my heart with that phrase. And since then, over the years, I, I learned a lot and a lot about how to help organizations become agile, become more present, uh, increase the level of freedom, of meaning of what they do, the level of connection. And we are also big fans of GTD and of many practices that we will unpack along the way. But first, Brian, 99% of the world knows you, but let's talk to the 1%. Who are you? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm Brian. I'm the founder of a method called Holacracy, which is a framework for organizing a company in a different way than what we're typically used to. Right? We're used to the top-down management hierarchy, which is the way most companies today are organized, uh, except now for the thousands of organizations that have moved to a self-management paradigm. And Holacracy is really the, the only or best-known framework for self-management, which means uh, instead of people getting direction from a boss, instead of having managers try to create clarity and break down the work and align the action, you still have clarity, alignment, work breakdown. You need these things, but Holacracy gives you a different way to, to get there, a set of processes instead of a management hierarchy. And part of that shift is, uh, I like that you referenced Bia Ferrari, it's, it's, it's freeing people to go fast, much faster. Um, it's freeing people to get more empowered, to take more action with less approvals, less meetings, less checking in with everyone else, um, and yet to do so in a way that's still healthy for the business and aligned with the business needs. So that, in a nutshell, is what it's all about. We can dig in more however you like from there. Beautiful. Did you see the movie Ford versus Ferrari? I didn't. You have to. It's it's beautiful, it's hilarious, it's beautiful, but it's especially a great metaphor on how people in corporations who want to speed up are caught up between the balance of speeding up but having to play around established patterns and how much can you stretch them, how can you evolve them, but keeping, keeping your genius, but being also connected to what is there. Yep. Beautiful. So last time I checked, this was your last book and millions of people have read it. If you don't uh, have read it, please read it, people. It's a great book and uh, it's full of impulses for you, how can you can run your organization in a way that increases freedom, meaning, speed, and is driven by purpose. So by your mission instead 
or by all kinds of stuff that is not really helping you. And um, Brian, what is currently on your heart? What are you moving forward? Uh, right now, I think like, like a lot of the world, it's um, trying to figure out how to adapt to this new reality uh, we find ourselves in with you know, everyone working from home, which for us, for my organization, we've worked from home since the beginning. So we've been doing the work at home thing. Uh, we have uh, people all over the world on my team. And so that part's normal. Uh, what's not normal is the rest of the world <laughs> doing it that way, right? So we're, we're shifting our services to deliver virtually. Um, and we're also finding uh, Holacracy itself almost um, more relevant in this world. So we're, we're kind of adapting and helping organizations now that have never, never dealt with this level of disruption or virtual working or, uh, I mean, it, it's what, what I'm finding again and again, if, if you have a, a traditional structure management hierarchy, probably a lot of your management relies on uh, just being co-located. Uh, uh, managers rely on just running into things, um, being able to just drop in to an office, right? So if you, the shift to virtual is requiring a lot of companies to have more clarity um, because you need it, you know? If you're working virtually, you need more clarity. Better meetings, meetings are so bad in most companies. and. It's one thing if you're in person, somehow that makes up for it. But when you, you move the same bad meeting practices virtually, they get mind-numbingly boring. They, it's really difficult. It's one thing to hold your presence at least live in a room with people when the meeting structure sucks. But it's another thing when you're, you're virtual. So, um, and one of the things, as you know, that Holacracy really does is, is uh, your whole meeting practices get vastly more efficient. Your clarity of what you don't need a meeting for gets more efficient. So you can spend less time in meetings, which I think is even more important when everyone is Zoom fatigued now. And um, so a lot of what's on my head is just helping others adapt to that, that world, that reality. Um, yeah, let's unpack it a little bit because uh, I know, I know uh, a lot about it, but not everybody does. Let's unpack all the magic that is in there. Um, up to that you can have 80 decisions in one meeting, but how, how do you get there? Um, maybe we start by just, you tell us a little bit your last week's meetings at Holacracy One, like how does that feel? How, how, how long are they? How often are they? How do you, how do you structure them? So one thing I, I love to, to just highlight, I, I mean, I get asked a lot about meetings and your meetings are only as good as the clarity you have outside of the meetings. And so the, the, the way of improving, I think, meetings often doesn't start in the meetings, right? It, it starts by getting more clarity of structure. Uh, if you don't know what you don't need a meeting for, then things are going to come to meetings by default and that's going to make the meetings slower, less efficient and all that. So uh, the, the striking thing that you'd probably notice if you watched my company for the past few weeks is how little comes to a meeting in the first place. And that's because people know their roles. They know the boundaries of their roles, right? Um, it's like we talked about, I mentioned empowerment earlier. Uh, you can't just go to your team if you want more empowerment and say, good luck, guys. You're all empowered. You know, have fun. That doesn't work because people know there's really some limit to their power. There's something they shouldn't do. And if they don't know what they shouldn't do, then they don't know what they can do without talking to anyone, right? Uh, if, if you don't know what you really do need to bring to a meeting, then you don't know what you don't need to bring to a meeting, right? If you don't know what you have the freedom to lead yourself, you're going to default back to making sure you get people's buy-in so that you don't step on toes. So the first thing that you notice in my company is how many people just go take action without talking to anyone 
Or if they do, they check in with one person and they know exactly who to check in with and exactly why and about what. And they're rarely looking for consensus. It's more like, hey, I want to make sure this doesn't hurt this area of yours. Is there anything I need to integrate here before I do this action or whatever? So the first thing you notice is how little we need the meetings, right? How, how empowered people are to just drive action and lead, which I love. It's like having a, a company full of CEOs instead of a company full of employees waiting to be told what to do. So that's the first thing you notice. The second thing is when we do have a meeting, the meetings are really efficient. Uh, we get through huge amounts of agenda items. We build the agenda in, in the meeting, not in advance. It's not a meeting full of, let's build our agenda about things we should talk about. It's right there in the meeting. Who's feeling tension about something? Right, that feeling of there's something in your way. There's a gap between where we are and where you want us to be. Right, who's feeling some tension? That's stretching between that that where we are and where you want to be. Bring the tension, and we build the agenda in the meeting right there on the fly. Everyone gives just a couple of words to label their tension. We build an agenda. Sometimes there might be 20 items on that agenda, and then we just start hammering through them one after another. And uh, and the thing you notice about that is there's no boss in the room, right? It's a self-management framework. There's no, no manager, no boss. No one's turning to someone else to solve their issue, right? They're taking self-responsibility for solving the issue that they brought to the table, and they're asking the team for help or making requests where they need them. So you'll see somebody, this is in what we call our tactical meetings, you'll see somebody uh, you know, raise an agenda item and say, okay, so here's my attention. And what I need is I need to request this action from you know you in this role, and I need some information you know about this thing. I don't know what happened, so if anyone has information, I'd love to hear it. Um, and then I'd like some brainstorming and ideas on this thing, and and all of that is rapid fire, right? Until the facilitator of this process, there is one, will turn to them when they're done and say, "Hey, did you get what you need?" You know, and they keep going until they say, "Yeah, I got what I need," and then we move on to the next agenda item. So. Instead of the agenda item being a topic where everyone jumps in to discuss the topic, the agenda item is one person's tension. It's owned by the person who put it on the agenda, and it's a space for them to make clear requests of others until they've got what they need to go move on on their own outside of the meeting. So we're not using it to make big group decisions, right? We're not using it to come to consensus around something, which is what a lot of meetings are used for today. Right? We're using it to give space for one person to make requests, get their tension addressed, and move on. And we have clarity of who makes which decisions already coming into the meeting. And then the last base I'll add is, what happens when we don't have clarity of who makes a decision? Because that happens too. Sometimes you don't have that clarity yet. We have a different meeting called a governance meeting that does the work of what we hope a manager typically would do in a management hierarchy, which is create clarity and define boundaries of who leads what. Um, of course, most managers don't do that. They micromanage because that work is hard. But in Holacracy, when we have, and you see this in my company, there's every now and then a case where it's not clear who makes a decision. It's not clear who owns something. Or it's, it's maybe there's some expectations we need to clarify or cross the roles to get alignment. Those kind of things are resolved in a different meeting process, which is not about tactical execution. It's just about working on the business, not in it. It's about clarifying the structure of who does what, who expects what at a kind of process level. So we have a meeting process for that as well. And we do those maybe once a month and get more alignment on what we expect and who is what authority. So you notice meetings for sure, but they're far more efficient than what we were used to. There's two different kinds of meetings, one for tactical execution, one for working on the business, not in it. And then you just notice how much clarity there is that we build on in the meeting or we don't even need the meeting for.
This is so powerful because many meetings out there, the majority of meetings, are a mix of in the businesses, on the business. And then you, you end up with the frustrating situation after one hour of discussion that you, you have solved neither of them because you don't have the task level and you don't have the governance uh, level um, fixed. So you have not enough clarity and it usually it creates the next meeting, which then people say, oh, meetings are not effective. And it, it, it strikes me that you have even less meetings, but a high level of clarity, or you need less meetings yeah. to have that high level of clarity. Yeah, and it, it's really about using the meetings well. I mean, when most companies start, they don't have any more clarity than any other company. It's not a magical suddenly of clarity. It's a process of, of getting disciplined about clarifying the structure instead of just jumping to a, a tactical solution only. So in most companies, when somebody brings something up and it's really not clear how that decision should get made, they just talk until they have consensus on the decision. Whereas in the companies using Holacracy, they catch that and they say, no, the first thing we need to do is clarify who leads this, who makes this decision within what constraints, what expectations do we need? So there's a discipline about using the specific things we run into to clarify the process and the structure. And when you do that enough for long enough, you start getting more and more and more clear. Um, and ironically, it's the same thing we want in a management hierarchy, right? That's, that's what a good manager does. They don't just micromanage and answer everyone's questions. They use the questions people have. They use the lack of clarity to help structure the team, to, to generate clear goals, clear expectations. And then they give people freedom to lead within them. The trouble is most managers are really bad at that, right? It's, it's hard. And when we get a manager who's actually good at that, at creating clarity instead of micromanaging, we promote them and they get replaced by a manager who's not good at that because there's not enough to go around, right? Holacracy gives guide rails so that poor manager doesn't have to be the only one suffering trying to figure out how to do that. Now the whole team's involved and there's a process for it. Now I can, I can empathize with a lot of CEOs right now listening and saying, hey, I want this also. I want everybody to be a CEO. I don't want to be in it all the time, to sleep badly, to be the, the micromanaging guy. I don't want this either. How do I get out of this? How, how, how do you get there, Brian? How, how can I start? How, how can I really, what exactly do I let go? Do I stop doing? Or, or which practice do I need to install so that everybody can be the CEO that they maybe want to be. Totally. Well, you know, as I said earlier, it's not enough just to tell people you're empowered, right? That doesn't do it. It's also not enough uh, for the CEO to just let go of power, to stop using power. That doesn't work, right? Sometimes people get the mistaken impression when I say holacracy, companies with holacracy have no managers. That what I mean is they have no structure, that managers just stop managing. And that's absolutely not what I mean. That doesn't get you a functioning healthy system. It gets you chaos, right? The question is, what do you replace it with? So it's really not about what do you stop doing or what do you let go of? It's about what do you start doing? What do you add? And eventually when what you add gets so effective, it simply replaces the need to direct the action top down um, in a management hierarchy. In fact, when I started on this journey, I never set out trying to remove managers. I was quite happy being a CEO and uh, it worked you know, well enough. I just wanted more people to be more empowered and to act more like business partners and less like employees. I, I wanted more leadership. So what I set out to do was create processes to generate more clarity to let people lead better. 
And what I discovered was when those processes are good enough, you no longer need the managers at all. Uh, the managers are just a, a kind of a crutch or a fallback and they're not the best way of doing it. So to answer your question, what do you add? Well, you start adding the governance process of Holacracy to get clarity. You add a stance that says to people, look, you have the freedom and the authority to make any decision or take any action anywhere in the company to get your job done unless there's a rule against it. And then what we do is we focus on clarifying those boundaries. What are the rules against action? Right? And, and this is a huge shift from most cultures today, where in most cultures, people assume they need permission before they act. So they go to the meetings, they, they build buy-in, right? They often get permission, not from a boss, but from building buy-in with all their stakeholders, but they do get permission before they act. And where you want to shift that is to a culture where everyone assumes permission, unless there's a, a restriction, a clear written policy or rule or something that prevents action. So you take that stance of, look, we're going to get really good at clarifying things. And, and, and when there's, there's not clarity, use your judgment, um, lead your role, take whatever action makes sense to you. And then you, you add the processes to generate that clarity. And there's some safety nets in there you'll need and things like that. But a good start is just, you know, read the book or go watch some videos on holacracy.org and get a sense of what this whole thing is about. Um, and then uh, get a coach or go to a training like you did, right? Uh, there's, this is a huge shift from what we're used to. Um, you're changing the way power works. You're changing the way people lead and the way they follow, right? It's a massive change. Um, it's, uh, I know you had David Allen on the show um, recently, and he's, he's been doing Holacracy for about eight years in his company, and he's on my board now. And uh, he wrote the foreword to my book. And one of the things he, he wrote in there was, his intuition when he started was, this is a five-year journey. This is not a quick fix for next quarter. Now, you get ROI way earlier in that journey. Um, you know, most teams find it's about six months until things are running better than they did before. But it's still a five-year journey to really rewire the way people relate to power, right? And the way people lead or take self-leadership of their own roles. That doesn't come quick. It takes years to help people with that. And that's where, you know, having, get, getting started in the right way with a good coach is helpful. Getting someone in your company trained internally to carry on the coaching, even after an external coach leaves is really helpful. Um, so get support. Um, there's lots of Holacracy coaches. We run a whole certification process as there's, there's quality control in there. Find a good certified coach. Uh, you can reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with one. Um, and talk to a coach, get, get help, or go to a training or get one of your own people to, to build the capacity internally to do this. Um, it's a big change from what we're, we're used to. And I always recommend the CEO go to that training too, even if they have a coach. In fact, we've noticed that's one of the things that uh, separates companies that succeed with this from ones that, that fail. Um, statistically, if the CEO goes to a, a deep dive Holacracy training, they are far more likely to succeed with this shift because the behavior change starts with them. They need to learn a new way to create clarity instead of directing the action. And so it's about what do you add? You add the governance process, you add using the new rules of the game, right? Holacracy gives you new rules of the game for how execution works and how governance or defining the structure works. And you, the CEO, need to use those new rules and model them for everybody, especially for the other managers. Beautiful. One thing that um, I learned from you that inspired my practice is at that time, six years ago, you had the whole governance of Holacracy One being publicly accessible, readable, and there was an open link, and it was so helpful for us practitioners learning it 
just to check in and to see week by week what you were changing. And it, it was more things on more levels inspiring. So one having the courage to just open up and uh, being vulnerable, showing that you are also learning because it, changed, it changes every week, every month, of course. It's a dynamic system. Yep. And, uh, and you created a whole community by doing that. So we also started sharing our spreadsheets, our sprint maps, the, the product ships that we would do telling people what we're doing and sharing it. And it, it was one of the best ideas ever because since then we connect so much to great people and uh, it, it becomes a, a, whole, a whole movement. So uh, is, it, is it still like that? Where can people check the governance? Because it was so helpful. Yeah, if you go to our website, holacracy.org, H-O-L-A, uh, people misspell that all the, all the time. It's uh, not two O's, it's O and an A, H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y.org. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the website, uh, in the, the footer nav, there's a link to company. And under company, there's our structure. And if you click on that company, our structure, uh, it'll take you to our actual governance structure, which is all transparent. Um, not every company makes theirs transparent, but we do. And um, you can see kind of what a company like this looks like. You'll see what I mean when I, I say companies without managers, good self-managed companies, those using Holacracy especially, they have more structure, not less than a management hierarchy. They just get to the structure differently. They have more clarity and more structure. It's just not a top-down directed structure. It's a structure that emerges from every team learning together and engaging in a process together around defining how that team works. And you can see that, you can go in and you can poke around, it takes you to a software tool called GlassFrog, which is what most of the companies do in Holacracy use. And uh, you can poke around and you can see, uh, it's, it's very organic. It's like uh, roles within circles, within bigger circles, people fill lots of roles. It's one of the things with this, I fill 20 some roles in my company. There's hundreds and hundreds of roles um, in my company and people fill many and you can zoom around, you can see the entire like organic structure of our organization and it changes every time any one of those teams has a governance meeting and every team has them. So every team's regularly governing its own roles and its own policies and, and its processes as part of that. So you'll see the structure change uh, month to month as we, we do this, this process. You'll see it evolve, you'll see new roles show up, roles get combined or they split, structure flow changes, the process flows change, um, all while we're learning how to work together more effectively. So it's a whole learning system, it's beautiful. Uh, currently, there are thousands of companies uh, adopting living Holacracy, and you can you can check them up on the Holacracy One website. There is this list, and it's a growing list. There are also some examples, and we we had these in the last years in our conversations. Uh, we had also some some experiences where even implementing it, people do not behave like Ferraris. Yeah. They the, the old culture still prevails and, and, and we had a lot of discussions around that. And one thing that really clarified for me, and, and I was also like, ah, does it really take five years? Why doesn't, why doesn't get faster to Ferrari state? And, and you said something that really influenced me. You said, you know, if I can have a holacracy company, but the single individuals do not have a GTD practice or a 
a, a company where everybody has a GTD practice, but no holacracy, I would go for the full GTD one. So there is, there is a, a, a basis in the individuals. Can, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so I've, I've spoken with David Allen quite a bit about this. Um, it, it, one of the things he pointed out, and, and I think he's right, is that holacracy in many ways takes what GTD does for the individual and it brings it to the organizational level and the team level, right? So, and it builds on that, that foundation of that framework. So uh, I, I think GTD is by far the best bet out there for anyone trying to find more individual self-management and self-organization. Uh, but whatever method you use, if you don't have individuals that are highly um, organized or able to, you know, direct their own attention consciously, which is what GTD ultimately is to me. It's about noticing what's on your mind, what's got your attention, what are you tuning into? And then what do I do with that to keep it organized and execute on it appropriately when it's the most important thing in my world, right? That's, that's a basic foundation of an individual who is capable of self-leadership, right? Holacracy then builds on top of that. And what happens, you can have a company full of people that are good self-leaders, but the limits of their practice show up when they need to clarify between us who does what, right? Where does my self-leadership stop and yours start? Right? Or what happens when we're both self-leading in the same general area and stepping on each other's toes? How do we get clarity at that level? And GTD doesn't address that, Holacracy does. Right? So GTD addresses very much the individual. How do I I'd be a good self-leader in my own world, in my own attention, with my own work directly? And Holacracy says, all right, now what do I do when that actually starts cross-connecting a team, when there's something that, that we share or some relationship we have uh, in the work? And Holacracy really doesn't address the individual level other than saying, look, we're gonna put you in a context where you really have the freedom to self-lead, right? And you're gonna know your boundaries and your clarity and all that so you can self-lead better, but it doesn't tell you how to be a good self-leader. I mean, we have little bits of uh, support in there. That's not, it's not zero in the same way that GTD still helps you at a team level, but it's just not quite totally focused at that level. And the same is true with, with Holacracy. So, um, I, I just can't recommend David's work enough with GTD. It's, it's, you need that level of self-leadership if you want to have a self-managing company. If you want to have a company that, that you have more leadership throughout, you, it's got to start at that individual level. Absolutely. So I am since 17 years in the business of advising companies in strategy and growth. And I, did, I just redid my GTD level two a couple of weeks ago and I had my GTD coach today checking my system and, uh, and my project list and my weekly review, et cetera. And I, it, it, it helps so much in having that practice. And it is something that is a continuous learning. Like you said, it's you learn to be in the moment and to start from where you are and to structure from there. You learn that systems are your friend and they, they are not lists that limit you, but it's one vehicle for creating clarity, for defining what matters, for letting go of all the rest. And this is so important to have a dynamic presence in, in what's happening right now in all these turbulence. So super important. Also, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, speaking of turbulences, uh, you, you said on a podcast, uh, I love how my company fires people right now. <laughs> and you know, uh, that yes, there are some, unfortunately we, we didn't, uh, lay off anybody, 
but many CEOs right now are thinking about layoffs uh, and if they can't avoid, they have to. So you seem to have found a, a helpful, functional, respectful way to structure that. Please tell us. Yeah. So one thing I want to clarify is um, the way we fire people in my company is not universally true in every company doing holacracy. So every company is going to find its own path. But what is in common among them is they're all going to be pretty creative solutions because you don't have managers to fall back on. We, we have no managers. We can't just say the manager decides who to fire, right? Um, which actually I think is really helpful even in a management hierarchy because we're in a world today where people have so many stakeholders, you know, how many even management hierarchies can say the manager has a complete view of somebody's performance. And do you really want to centralize that level of power in a manager that creates all sorts of political issues and cultural issues. So, you know, when you don't have managers, you just have to get creative, you know, how else can you do it? Um, what we did was spend seven years uh, iterating and evolving and testing different approaches and, and, you know, refining our approach. So with that, that said, what, what we do, I, I really love this approach. Um, so anyone in the company can call for a quote partnership review, which is where we assess this uh, for anyone else in the company. So anyone can call it on anyone. And when somebody calls for a review and says, Hey, we need to check in on this, you know, then there's a process that gets kicked off. We also automatically kick off that process when new people join the company after three months, six months, and 12 months of them joining. So the process involves, uh, there's a role, uh, an assessor role, partnership assessor is the role name. And that role is filled by five people. And each one of those five, there are five people that have been at the company quite a long time. In fact, anyone can even opt into filling that role through another process. So it's, it's kind of a, a, almost a volunteer basis, although there's some limits to who can do it. Those five can invite anyone else to join the process. So, you know, if, if the question is about you and I know that, you know, you work with somebody closely, I might invite that person to join this process. So it also includes then your peers through that. And then uh, the, the five of us plus anyone we've invited, we have a little meeting and we have to answer a question. And the question is not, should we fire you? Right, I actually, I find that, that to be a horrible question when you're assessing whether to fire someone. So one of my key learnings, just don't ask it. Never ask, should we fire the person? It creates so many uh, emotional hooks. It's hard. It's, it's just not the right question to assess that. So instead, the question we have to ask uh, or answer is, if you didn't already work here and we knew everything we know about you now, would we advocate for hiring you again? I find that question so much more powerful. It, it changes the whole mind frame of the mindset of the people uh, asking it, answering it. Um, it. It removes a lot of the emotional blocks that can happen, you know, and it, it forces you to really assess something more powerful, which is not should we get rid of you, which we often have a higher bar for, but it lowers the bar. It says, if you didn't work here, would we advocate for hiring you, you know? Um, and there's three possible answers to that. You can, uh, we do it with, uh, you know, thumbs up is a clear yes, I would advocate for hiring you again. Thumbs down is I would advocate against it. I don't think it's the right answer uh, for us if you didn't work here. And thumbs sideways is neutral. I don't have any strong feelings. And the rule is you need at least one thumbs up, right? If everyone's neutral, even if no one would advocate against hiring you, if everyone's neutral, that's a fire, right? So you need at least one thumbs up and you need more thumbs up than thumbs down right? More advocates for than against. And 
the, the thing is, it's not the end of the process. So we do this initial vote, and then we have a chance to discuss, to share why we voted the way we did, and then we redo the vote in the meeting. So we have some influence of each other, but we have an initial independent assessment where everyone gives their independent answer. We describe our answers, our reasons, we redo it, and then we do the count. And if the result is a fire, they don't have more thumbs up than thumbs down, then we don't immediately fire the person. We actually tell them, we say, hey, here were your results. And we give them the option, do you want to try to influence this and change it? Because if you do, we'll delay enacting that decision for long enough for you to have conversations with everyone involved and to explore what could be different or changed if you want to. And it's on you to drive that if you choose to. And if you choose to, if you wanna have conversations with others, on your request, we will throw out the result and redo it. And you, you know, we'll give you a week or two for that, whatever feels appropriate, whatever you need, you know, within reason. Um, and if you ask us to, we'll completely redo the process after you've had those conversations and you'll have a chance. In the meantime, you can make new agreements, right? We've had people have these conversations and realize, oh, wow, there's something I've been not focused on that I need to. And they made new agreements. I promise I'll do these things. I'll focus on those things. Basically, they're making their own performance improvement plan. Instead of that being a, what feels like a punitive process coming from a boss, it's entirely up to them. If they do nothing, they're fired, right? And it's up to them. Do they want to create their own plan? And, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they talk to everyone involved and they ask us to redo it and the result's the same, right? Um, but what's happened from this, we've had people not request that. We've had people know they could do that. And maybe they have a few conversations, they get a little bit of information and they realize, you know, this makes sense to me. I've heard this a couple of times now uh, over the years. This makes sense to me. I think it's the right answer and I'm not gonna try to fight it. I, I just, I'm gonna gracefully say, no, now is my time to leave. Um, we've had people thank us because it helped reveal something about themselves that they didn't know. Um, we've had people fired through this process that came back and became our clients. That was interesting. Literally became a, a key customer. Um, and I, I actually just this past Christmas last year, I had somebody that I was part of those five people that fired him from my company. He came and stayed in my guest suite uh, for a couple of weeks over the holidays. Uh, he was visiting Austin where I live and needed a place to stay and we're still good friends. You know, uh, so much that he stayed with me over the holidays after I fired him. Right? And that's because the process treats people like adults, it's respectful, and it involves them in the process. We've also had people go through and stay in the company, have those conversations and find, yes, uh, we can shift something here. And, and now they win enough advocates that they do stay in the company. And they, I've had people go through that and make huge changes in, in their, their contributions. Uh, it's been really good. Sometimes we'll have once, uh, twice now, I think we've had somebody uh, suggest themselves that they lower their pay because what they heard was, you're doing good, you're contributing, but you came in at this really high pay and you're just not adding the value at that level. So I wouldn't advocate for hiring you at that pay. And so we've had a couple of times somebody say, you know what, I think you're right. Um, I'm going to take a pay cut. Now would you advocate for hiring me at this new pay level? And because it was their suggestion, it worked. I think if anyone else had said, we should cut your pay, you know, that doesn't work. They would have, they would have left in anger. Um, but coming from them, it worked. So that's how we do it. Um, and I think that the, the beautiful part of the story to me is not just this process, it's how we came up with this process. This is what happens when you don't have the simple answer available, just let the manager decide. And when you have a governance process where you can experiment. Right? The way we got to this process was not by somebody handing it to us. It was seven years ago. 
we had a really shitty way to fire people and we used it and it didn't feel good. And so someone showed up in the governance meeting and they said, I have some tension with how we just fired this person. That sucked, you know, it created cultural backlash. It, and, and they proposed a change to our firing process. And then we had a firing process that sucked a little less. And we tried that and eventually we had to fire someone else. And then somebody came back to the governance process and said, this could still be better. And they proposed another change and another and another. And after seven years of iterating in our process, we have a firing process that I can genuinely tell you I love. And that's true with almost all of our other processes that we've been iterating on, right? It's they get better and better and better, not by somebody magically coming up with the right answer up front, but by listening to our tensions and noticing where we feel like something could be better than it is and processing that change in the governance process to improve. And so it's an iterative learning process where we're constantly improving our, our, all of our other processes. So that's how we have really good process. This is such a great example, very relevant for right now, but such a great example of what happens when you, when you put love into systems, when you curate them, you make them better and better and better. Seven years later, you have this wonderful algorithm that is something that everybody would, would love to implement. Beautiful. One more thing. I'm, I guess that the thousand companies now implementing Holacracy, they don't need to reorganize right now with all this strong change. Like in terms of now we do a two year long reorg program. I guess, and that's built in in the system, they are reorganizing all the time. So they can rebuild the ship while it's on, on cruise control. Is, is that your observation? Yeah, it's, it's almost like the company's running with holacracy. Reorganization becomes a normal part of the everyday process, not something you do in a big top-down thing every few years. Uh, so you're doing micro-reorganizations in every governance meeting in every team. So every team has its own little reorganizations that it's doing constantly. So change becomes just part of the game. It's normal. So today, what I hear from so many of the companies I'm talking to that are running with Holacracy, sometimes their environment has changed, especially with COVID. The environment has changed out from under companies, but the process of adapting to that change is so ordinary. It's like breathing. We just do it. They don't think about it. It's not a big thing. They're just, okay, here's the changes in our world. Here's the tensions that are showing up. Let's process them and evolve. And that process is normal. So the world might not be normal for them, but the process of changing and adapting to the world has become second nature. And that makes it so much easier to adapt to things like this. And now my second favorite thing after being a Ferrari is the answer you gave at an event where I was part of, where somebody asked you, Brian, what's your spiritual practice? And <laughs> holacracy. Yeah. Yeah. Explain. Yeah, well, I mean, I look at a, a spiritual practice as one of, of uh, first noticing our own consciousness, and that means noticing what's showing up in ourselves, uh, what's on my mind, right? It's GTD is like a meditative process. What's popping into my head, right? And, and instead of just having monkey mind and letting that chatter hit you, it's noticing, wait, this thing just popped in my head. What's that mean? Well, that means that there's something in my system that I want to shift, or there's some relationship I have to that thought that I want to clarify. And I don't want that thought to own me. I want to notice it's arising and then figure out the appropriate relationship to it, right? Which might mean, hey, there's an outcome I want to achieve. Let me clarify, what's this outcome I want to achieve? And what's my next action to get there? Because it shouldn't need to pop in my head while I'm in the middle of something else, right? I should have everything on autopilot. 
Holacracy is exactly the same. It's what are the tensions showing up in my system? What's that tension teaching me about how to evolve my part of the business, right? What's that tension telling me about what needs to change in the, the company structure or process or whatever around me? Um, or maybe I just need to request something from someone else to move forward, right? And when that's where my GTD practice stops is when I need something from someone else and that's where Holacracy kicks in. So maybe what this thing popping into my head is showing me is that. So for me, that's, I mean, I, I can't imagine a better spiritual practice than constantly noticing what's happening in my consciousness, what's popping into my mind, what even my body, what tension am I feeling in my body? Because that's also a clue to something going on, right? So all of that to me is uh, why I say GTD and Holacracy together, that's my spiritual practice. I show up present in the moment, aware, conscious as best I can, and I adapt and I flow with whatever's showing up in me and in my world. I love it. Last time we talked, uh, it was, I think, six years ago where you said you are so in love with this book and I want to share it. Is, is this still the one that you recommend right now or are there one or two books that you share right now with the world that you want to recommend? Yeah. Well, I do love that book. For, I, I'm, I'm a bit of an economics nerd and that book has been among the most powerful I've read in the whole economics uh, field. Uh, but the other one that's a more recent book um, that came out just a couple of years ago is Frederick, Le, Frederick Leloux's book, Reinventing Organizations. And he does write about holacracy in there, so I might be a little biased, but it's not just about holacracy, that's just a little piece. Um, he's looking at really the broader paradigm shift happening in companies and he writes about self-management and he went out and studied all these different organizations doing self-management, <clears throat> many not using holacracy, using other approaches uh, or just, you know, homegrown approaches and then some using holacracy as well. And um, he kind of looks at it and puts it in a broader perspective. It's almost like the prequel to my book, right? My book on holacracy looks at a very specific framework for how do you actually do self-management. Fred's book looks at the broader principles and the broader paradigm shifts and where have we come from like earlier in the business world to our modern standards for business to what's emerging in a more postmodern business approach and then what's the leading edge that he sees and that he like lays all that out and connects it all. It's a really, really great read and it's inspiring for painting a vision of what's possible in radically different ways to structure companies and what results have they achieved. So. I really recommend his book, Reinventing Organizations, um, especially as a prequel even to reading mine because it, it creates a broader context uh, for it. Beautiful. People out there, read the book. It's full of great impulses. And how can people stay in your orbit, uh, learn from what your whole movement is, is learning and sharing? Yeah, well, of course, uh, our website, you can go in there, you can sign up our email list. Uh, we also have social media accounts. Uh, we regularly post things there. Um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. You can connect with me or with my company. Um, you can find all of that on holacracy.org. Um, so, uh, and reach out, of course, if you have questions, if you want to chat about self-management, if you want to explore something, we have a whole team of coaches and we can put you in touch with a, someone just to have a dialogue with. So feel free to reach out. Uh, if you want to take a deeper dive, there's all sorts of free materials on the website. There's also trainings if you want to go a little bit more in depth. We now, appropriate in today's world, we've just launched our first virtual training. <laughs> uh, so you can do it even now in the comfort of your own home. Uh, so check out our, our website for all of that and stay in touch. Beautiful. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show and your generous sharing of your knowledge. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Simon. It's been awesome talking to you again.
Yeah. Come back soon and have a great day, Brian. Bye-bye. You too. See ya. Entrepreneurial freedom is awesome. It's also a lot of hard work to get there. And when you are there, it's easy to lose your grip. Our community of over 16,000 entrepreneurs is getting stronger and stronger every week because we amplify each other. We share what works and drop the rest. We test, refine, improve. Check strategysprints.com slash clarity to level up your business and have fun doing it.